I'm here talking to Kendall. I'm here talking to Annie, and I'm talking about the disgusting little life of Carl Pansram. Content warning for sexual assault and child sexual assault. Major, major, major. Come join us on Patreon. We have a general support tier as well as a tier that gets you three bonus episodes a month. There's a bunch already in there ready for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at tellnoonepodcast or send us an email at tellnoonepod at gmail.com. Sources are in the show notes. Everything is alleged, but this is definitely tell no one. Um, Carl Panzram was born in 1891 to German dirt farmers in Minnesota. So he and his six siblings, he had five older brothers and a younger sister, were raised on the family farm um, on which they were born, and they were forced to work from a young age until child labor laws made it illegal for their parents not to send them to school. So now that his him and his siblings had to go to school, they were, his parents were like, you're still working, so you're just going to work the night shift. So you're going to go to school, and then you're going to work all night in the fields. So he later reported that he would get two hours of sleep before he had to go up for school. So he'd work all night oh to take God. a little nap. And he's like six years old. <laughs> oh, my God. This is true. I got a full day? Yeah, a full day and night. Oh, no. So obviously his parents were like pretty abusive. So their punishments would range from being chained to being starved. Oh, he reflected on his childhood by saying he was not liked by other children. And by age five or six, he was a liar and a thief. <laughs> a liar. <laughs> <laughs> he also claimed that his parents had a lobotomy performed on him when he was very young. Now I've heard a few different things about this is he had like a, some kind of like growth on his brain mm. and he had a home surgery that later, you know, didn't go well. So he had to go have like another brain surgery, which might be this lobotomy he's talking about. A home surgery? Like his dad went through his ear like with a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. So in 1899, at the age of eight, he was charged in juvenile court with being with being drunk and disorderly. <laughs> no. Disorderly? Like what kind of havoc could an eight-year-old be like? Mean drunk. <laughs> mean, mean drunk. <laughs> Um, in 1903, at age 11, he was arrested and jailed for being drunk and incorrigible. Not long after the second arrest, he was arrested again for stealing cake and apples um, and a gun from a neighbor's home. <laughs> I mean, right. the cake. The cake and cake, apple. But- <laughs> the gun. <laughs> <laughs> to be a child and a very bad man. <laughs> yeah, like a little sweets and my pistol. <laughs> okay. So because of this, it was either like, well, he basically had to be sent to like a reform school. So <clears throat> think about how fucking terrible that is. So when he arrived, he was brought into the reception office where a male staff member examined him. He was stripped naked and questioned about his sexual practices. This is from Carl. Quote, he examined my penis and rectum, asking me if I had ever committed fornication or sodomy or had ever had sodomy committed on me or if I ever masturbated. When he said he didn't know what sodomy was, he said that the guy explained it to him, quote, in great detail. Oh, I mean, God damn, what a childhood. From the jump. Just horrible. And like, objection, relevant. <laughs> Sorry, what does this have to do with my cake and apple charge? He's about to find out it has a lot to do with the reform school. 
Um, Kendall. This is a Christian training school. So it like spoils him on religion, but that'll come up later. Mm -hmm. So they would um, attack them when they would misbehave or fail to learn their lessons properly. He was unable to read very well because he worked day and night. And he had half a brain. Right. And his brain was picked at by his father. So he was beaten regularly. Quote, I may not have accomplished much in a scholarly way while there, but I learned how to become a first class liar and the beginnings of degeneracy. Quote, I first began to think that I was being unjustly imposed upon. Then I began to hate those who abused me. Then I began to think that I would have my revenge just as soon as often as I could injure someone else. Anyone at all would do. I mean, very typical, like, I'm being hurt. Who can I hurt in return? Right. But, like, you're looking in the wrong direction. Like, hurt the people who are hurting you if you're going to be weird. He does that. He does a little bit of everything. (laughs) (laughs) So while at the school, he's repeatedly beaten, tortured, and raped by staff members in a workshop the children called the paint shop due to them leaving the room painted with bruises and blood. Oh, Kendall. They would whip them and then cover their wounds in saltwater soaked towels. They did give him a job in the kitchen. However, he would jerk off onto the ice cream and serve it to the guards. (laughs) (laughs) He did try to put rat poison in their food once, but was caught and removed from the kitchen duty. Um, On the night of July 7th, 1905, he created a simple device that started a fire that destroyed the workshop at the school and it burned to the ground. So in 1905, he's like picking up from the other boys who are like graduating or getting out by being like, just say what they want to hear. Just be like, I'm reformed. I love Jesus, whatever. Mm. So when he appears before the parole board, he convinces them that he's a changed boy and has been reformed (laughs) by the school. Quote, I was reformed. All right. I had been taught by Christians how to be a hypocrite, and I had learned more about stealing, lying, hating, burning, and killing. I had learned that a boy's penis could be used for something besides to urinate with, and that a rectum could be used for other purposes. So he's out of this reform school, and he's 14, and so he's back to his mother's farm working in the fields, and he's like, no. So he convinces his mom to send him to seminary school to be like a priest or whatever. When he gets there, he soon becomes involved in a dispute with a teacher who beat him a lot. Um, And Carl managed to get a handgun and brought it to school so he could kill the teacher in front of the class. So he gets up in class and goes to the teacher and pulls the trigger at him three times and it just doesn't go off. So they expel him. (laughs) (laughs) You attempted murdering her. You can't go here anymore. Like walk him in the class like, (laughs) and the teacher's there like, you gotta go. So he's thrown out of the school. Yep. And back to the farm. He's like, no. So two weeks after that, he hops on a freight train and leaves the farm forever. So he's like riding the rails. Mm -hmm. All right. This is horrifying. And also another like turning point for him. So we're 14. And he's riding the rails. And he comes upon four men who are camping in a lumber car. And they said they could buy him some nice clothes and give him a place to sleep. Quote, but first they wanted me to do a little something for them. So he was gang raped by all four of the men. Quote, I cried, begged and pleaded for mercy, pity and sympathy, but nothing I could say or do could sway them from their purpose. Oh, my God. So this is when he's like, the whole world is my enemy. So a little while after this, he gets arrested for burglary and receives a sentence of one year in a Montana state reform school. Amazing. So spring of 1906, he's still 14. He goes to this reform school, but he's like built as like a man now. So he can like physically defend himself a little better. 
Yeah. Yeah. You don't know the trouble I've encountered. Seen. No, no. <laughs> so one guard in particular, like, tortured him. And he says, he kept on nagging at me until finally I decided to murder him. So he found a heavy wood plank outside one of the workshops one night. And when the guard turned around, he bludgeoned the man over his head, but he did not die. This is his just like first, I guess, real violent attack on someone. Mm -hmm. Um, For this, I got several beatings and was locked up and watched closer than before. So in 1907, Carl and another inmate, Jimmy Benson, escaped from the reform school. Quote, I stayed with him for about a month, hoboing our way east, stealing and burning everything we could. I taught him how to set fire to a church after we robbed it. We got very busy on that, robbing and burning a church, regular every chance we got. They loved doing that. He would do that all the time. He would rob and burn churches down to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Quote, one of his favorite crimes. Okay. They eventually go separate ways, and he changes his name to Jefferson Baldwin. Well, he just, like, calls himself that now. He has many different aliases. He doesn't do any paperwork or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what year are we in? 1907. Yeah, I can tell you whatever. Yeah. December 1907, he is in Helena, Montana. Uh, he's drinking at a bar, and hears a speech given by an army recruiter, and he's like, I could dig it. So he lies about his age and enlists in the army. He left for boot camp. Um, which was held at Fort William Henry Harrison in Western Montana and was assigned as a private to Company A in the 6th Infantry. But um, on his first day, he was brought up on charges of insubordination for refusing a work detail. Um, Constantly drunk and impossible to control, he was unable to conform to military discipline. So he was um, not doing great. Yeah, you definitely can't be like, no, in the army. No, yeah. In April 1908, he broke into the quartermaster's building and stole a lot of clothes. And he attempted to go AWOL with the stolen clothes, but was arrested by the military police and thrown in the stockade. Mm, The (laughs) shoki. He received a court-martial on April 20th, 1908, and he pleaded guilty to three counts of larceny. So federal prisoners at the time were sent to Fort Leavenworth, and the future president, William Howard Taft, who was at the time the Secretary of War, personally approved this prison sentence. Remember that. Um, So Fort Leavenworth is bad at this time. They've got a complete silence rule. Like the inmates cannot speak to each other at all. Uh, There's also straitjackets, beatings. Mm -hmm. He was also changed to a 50-pound metal ball that he had to drag around. (laughs) I can't even picture that. (laughs) Like the ball and chain, like a literal ball and chain. Got it. Got it. Yeah, like the Monopoly man. Yeah. Yeah. He was assigned to break rocks. That was his job. Uh, he did that 10 hours a day, every day. But it was it was like eight miles away. So he had to carry the ball and walk there every day. <laughs> <laughs> but this also made him fucking ripped. I don't know that you want to be making him ripped. Quote, I was discharged from that prison in 1910. I was the spirit of meanness personified. Well, I was a pretty rotten egg before I went there. But when I left there, all the good that may have been in me had been kicked and beaten out of me. Mm. It took a long time. Right. I mean, the indomitable human spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All that I had on my mind at that time was a strong determination to raise plenty of hell with anyone and everybody in every way that I could. So at this time, he gets himself a little case of gonorrhea from he thinks it's a woman. So he's like, well, I guess I just have to like stay away from women forever. He okay. is, doesn't like women. He's likes men. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So. But he'll always kind of come up with excuses as to why he doesn't like women. Okay, Carl. Okay, Carl. So he's like, I'm swearing off women forever. So here's a little um, tale. So one time he's in jail with a safe cracker. Carl gets released. The safe cracker has a longer sentence. So Carl robs a hardware store and files or he straps files to his pant legs and breaks back into the jail to release his friend. He gets caught and he's put back in jail. And Carl says, he thought that I was in love with him. So he tried to mount me, but I wasn't broke to ride. And he was. So I rode him. At that time, he was about 50 and I was 20 or 21. But I was strong and he was weak. (laughs) Carl. (laughs) What are you talking about, man? (laughs) Carl. Um... You were in love. Right. And That's all right. fine. You like broke back into jail to get him. You couldn't leave without him. You broke loved back. him. You loved it. Right. Like right? you did a, you risked a lot yeah. to save him. He didn't get a weird idea that you loved him. Right. You fully did. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so he's traveling across Kansas, Texas, California. He's arrested several times using the name Jeff Baldwin. Burglary, arson, robbery. He's escaping from jails. Quote, I burned down old barns, sheds, fences, snow sheds, anything I could. But when I couldn't burn anything else, I would set fire to the grass on the prairies or the woods. Anything and everything. You want to watch the world burn. Exactly. I'm hearing that. But like, you haven't really hurt people up to now. He raped without mercy. Um, quote, whenever I met one that wasn't too rusty looking, I would make him raise his hands and drop his pants. I wasn't very particular either. I rode them old and young, tall and short, white and black. It made no difference to me, all except that they were human beings. You're raping everyone you come in contact, anyone who's like weaker than him, which is almost everybody. During the summer of 1911, he's traveling as Jefferson Davis, which is like, interesting choice. (laughs) (laughs) He's riding the rails. He's stealing bikes. He's sent to the county jail, but escaped. He's on a freight train. And while he was in a boxcar with two other hobos, he saw an opportunity. Quote, I was sizing up the youngest and the best looking one of the two and figuring when to pull out my hog leg and heist him up. But a railroad cop found his way into the boxcar and tried to extort money from the men or he would kick them off. Carl's not going to stand for this. So he pulled out his gun, he robbed the cop of his watch and whatever money he had on them, and then, while the other two men watched, he raped the officer at gunpoint, and then forced the other two men to do the same. Quote, using a little moral persuasion and much waving around of my pistol, they also rode Mr. Brakeman around. So when it comes to, like, hobo culture, there was, um, have you ever heard of a Yeg and his fat boy? (laughs) Kendall, I haven't. So a yeg (laughs) is a man who's riding the rails with his little boy companion. A little boy companion also known as a punk. And so here's a little explainer from Carl. A punk is a poofter and a poofter is a pratter. (laughs) A punk is a poofter and a poofter is a pratter and a pratter is similar to a fruiter. The only difference between the two is that one likes to sit on it and the other likes to eat it. 
A face artist is an exceptionally well-experienced fruiter, one who knows his bananas better than an immature. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a fruiter. A fruiter, they're giving head? Yeah, and a pratter isn't. They're... Are they being raped or... I think... I mean, there's rape and there's probably consensual stuff happening. Yeah. A little more insight into the culture. I've been mixed up in every kind of crooked deal with every kind of crook there is. Con men and gang men, prowlers and boosters. Stick up artists, can opener artists, and sometimes face artists. Peter men and box men, paper hangers and grape hangers. Hustlers and rustlers, pimps and McGimps. <laughs> That's so real. Hookers from the big town and hookers from the sticks. Big shots and pikers, dynamiters and sodomiters, fruiters and poofters, dingbats and gay bats, <laughs> shiv men and gunmen, needle pumpers and snoot snifters, hotheads and drug hits, <laughs> wise guys and dumbbells, bootleggers and rum runners, wolves and gunzels, dips and shark card gamblers, home guards and boomers, booze fighters and cob lighters, and last but not least, musslers and guzzlers. I've put in 29 years in the game of hooks and crooks, and there is no angle to this game that I haven't tried at some time or another. I've even tried running a gas station. <laughs> is that part of the game i guess so it's part of the game okay so he's arrested in montana and is locked up as jefferson davis for burglary and receives a one-year sentence in the montana state prison while he's there he runs into jimmy benson his old cellmate from the reform school who was in there for robbery together they plan an escape but at the last minute benson was transferred and couldn't participate But on November 13th, 1913, Carl escapes from the prison and fled toward Butte. Just a week later, he's arrested again under the name Jeff Rhodes and is given another year for escape and return to the state prison. He says, at that place, I got to be an experienced wolf. I would start the morning with sodomy, work as hard at it as I could all day and sometimes half the night. I was so busy committing sodomy that I didn't have much time left to serve Jesus as I had been taught to do so (laughs) in those reform schools. So he fil- he serves out his sentence here, and in March 1915, he is released. When I left there, the warden told me I was as pure as a lily and free from all sin. He gave me $5, a suit of clothes, and a ticket to the town six miles away. So, on the night of June 1st, 1915, he breaks into a house in Astoria, Oregon. And so he was arrested later when he tried to sell a stolen watch. He was indicted for larceny. And the local DA promised to go easy on him if he pled guilty. So he did, but he tricked him and sentenced him to seven years, which is like the max. You have to be put away. You have to be put away. You're not okay out here. No, but now he's taking this as another thing of like, I've been wronged. I hear that. But like, you're doing a lot more wronging. I hear that must be frustrating for you. (laughs) So on June 24th, he arrived at the Oregon State prison so this prison was also notorious for abuse and torture and the warden at the time was especially heinous harry minto who believed that you kept your in your inmates in line by force whipping hosings beating starvation isolation they were frequently shackled to walls and hung from the rafters for hours sometimes days at a time hung yeah like from their arms medieval yes yeah So he obviously got in trouble almost immediately for violating the rules. Um, His record of discipline shows that on January 1st, 1916, he was hung for 10 hours a day for two days. Uh, They stripped us naked and chained us up to a door and then turned the fire hose on us until we were black and blue and half blind. I think I need to get my head around the actual power of a 
fire hose yeah oh my god well a power washer can like take your skin off okay so he's still combative can't hold him down he started several fires and burned down three buildings and did three different times he spent 61 days in solitary where he had to feel around in the dark and eat cockroaches in early 1917 he helps another inmate named otto hooker escape from the prison but later that night like when they're all searching for him like the guards or whatever Otto shot and killed Warden Minto. Oh, good. Um, but this sparked a public outcry, and they some people blamed Carl for like helping that guy escape. Whatever. I mean, blame me for other shit. No, oh, okay. Like, you don't know what I... If you're mad at me about that, you do not know my record. <laughs> right. I'm glad Minto died. You can't be doing that. You know, can't be doing that. But his brother took over as Warden oh. and like had a vendetta yeah. and made it like even worse. So... <laughs> Can your brother, like, inherit your job when you die? There are, like, no rules. Yeah. It is the... Wild West? Yeah. On September 18th, 1917, he succeeds and escapes from the prison. He broke into a house and stole clothes, food, money, and a thirty-eight caliber handgun. Da-da-da. A few days later, a local cop recognized him from a wanted poster and tried to arrest him. He pulled out his gun and opened fire on the sheriff's deputy. Quote, I fired and fought until my gun was empty of bullets and I was empty of courage. But he ran out of ammunition and was captured. On the way back to the jail, he tried to grab the cop's gun and a struggle took place inside the police car. The rear windows were kicked out and several shots were fired through the roof as the men battled for the officer's gun. He was beaten bloody and unconscious, but was brought back to Salem and put in solitary. Tough day. May 12th, 1918, he escaped again. He sawed through the window bars using a hacksaw blade and jumped down the prison walls. He started riding the rails again. He changed his name to John O'Leary and shaved his mustache. But he's still burglarizing and burning churches all around town. But now he's going to the East Coast. Summer of 1920. He's spending a lot of time in New Haven, Connecticut. How old are we? 20? Maybe 30. Maybe 30. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we're in New Haven, huh? We're in New Haven. Home of Yale. Home of Yale, exactly. (laughs) So he's raping Robin burglarizing and on september 16th 1920 he burglarized the home of william h taft the former united states president who sentenced him to that prison sentence yes do you think he knew he did no he did it on purpose i mean fine you didn't you didn't kill him you didn't rape taft no (laughs) (laughs) but um if you're gonna hold a grudge is it for him for or like for everyone yeah well he does have a grudge for everyone you only have one life you can't get it all done yeah Try as he might. Yeah. He stole a large amount of jewelry, bonds, and a forty-five caliber automatic handgun. So he makes his way to Manhattan, where he sells most of the jewelry. Where he sells most of the jewelry and the bonds. Out of this robbery, I got about $3,000 in cash and kept some of the stuff, including the forty-five Colt automatic. With that money, I bought a yacht, the Aquista. Oh, we're taking to the water? Yes. He registered the boat under the name John O'Leary. He's moored on Manhattan's Lower East Side, and he notices a lot of sailors on shore. Oh um, my god, Fleet Week. He would have a fucking field day. <laughs> Not Fleet Week. No. He is like, oh my god, they're like desperate for work. So he's like, come on my boat. Oh my god, being alone with him. Last thing you'll ever do. <laughs> no, like really, really, really terrifying. Yeah. No, it's over for you. <laughs> Done. For several weeks, he would go down to the South Street neighborhood and pick out one or two men. 
He told him that he had work on board his yacht and needed some deckhands. I've never been worried for men like I am right now. Yeah, right. Quote, every day or two, I would go to New York and hang around 25th South Street and size up the sailors. Wow. Well, do you think that he would pick a few that he could take? Like weaker ones? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. But he can really, he could do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We would wine and dine. You love them. Like, be, <laughs> be fucking for real. Like, up until now, this doesn't not sound like Samantha. We wine and dine. Mm-hmm. I would size them up. And when they were asleep, I would get my 45 Colt automatic that I stole from Mr. Taft's house <laughs> and blow their brains out. He then tied a rock to each of their bodies and just dropped them in the water. We're killing them for nothing. Robbing, I Robbing think. them, but, like, they're not wealthy people. No, robbing them for, like, their pocket, whatever they have on them. Wow. Yeah. He said he did this about 10 times. So there's, he killed 10 men. But people in the area are starting to grow suspicious of him. Yeah, every time you come down here. We lose a skipper or two. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I gotta go. So he sails down the coast of New Jersey, but he has two men with him. But he's intending to kill them. But he's like, we're going to New Jersey first. But I need them to get me. Yeah. Like, let's go to New Jersey. Okay. In late August 1920, they're sailing or whatever with the two guys and him. And his boat, his yacht, sorry, smashes to pieces against the rocks. So he swims to shore and the two sailors made it to the beaches, but he didn't know where they went. Quote, where they went, I didn't know or care. Good for them. They got away. Yeah, they did. I don't know what people mean when they're like, my boat hit a rock and it... Disintegrated? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure either. I wish I could picture it. I think it fell apart enough that like we're sinking. Okay. 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 So now he catches a ship to Southern Africa and lands in Luanda, the capital of the colonial Portuguese Angola. Oh, I'm fucking worried. In 1921, he was the foreman of an oil rig in Angola, which he later burned it down out of spite. <laughs> How do you become the foreman? You have to be like good at the job. He's strong as hell. Maybe that's enough. <laughs> oh my god, tough as nails. So this is what's this is a fucked up little thing I'm about to say. Shortly after he gets there, he pays a resident family eight dollars in exchange for their eleven year old daughter, who they claimed was a virgin. He raped her in his shack later that night, but returned the girl to her family, demanding his money back on the suspicion that she was not actually a virgin. So the family then gave him their eight-year-old daughter. Kendall, no. Yeah. Who he also raped in his shack, but eventually also took back to the family because he suspected she also wasn't a virgin. But Uh he didn't like girls. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know what he was doing all that for. Trying a thing? Yeah. Trying a thing. He's abroad. (laughs) um i've never even you've told me a lot today yeah that might be yeah top tier heartbreaking it is yeah that's probably the top yeah okay so now he rapes and kills an 11 year old boy quote a little n-word boy about 11 or 12 years old came bumming around He lured the boy back to the oil company grounds where he sexually assaulted and killed him by smashing his head with a rock. Quote, I left him there, but first I committed sodomy on him and then I killed him. His brains were coming out of his ears when I left him and he will never be any deader. Oh my God. Yeah. He's Uh, a real loon. uh, I'm very... Yeah. It's a little gross, isn't it? 
So after this, he goes to Libido Bay on the Atlantic coast, where he lived for several weeks in a fishing village. Several weeks later, he hires six natives to take him into the jungle to hunt for crocodiles. So they paddled into the jungle. Um, and as they went down river, he shot and killed all six of them. Quote, to some of average intelligence, killing six at once seemed almost an impossible feat. It was very much easier for me to kill those six N-words than it was for me to kill only one of the young boys I killed later, and some of them were only 11 or 12 years old. Well, you shot them all while they, like, weren't looking. He shot them all in the back, one by one. You haven't, like, committed a great feat here. No. Like, yeah, a you... normal person could never even think about it, but I did it. Like, what do you mean? You, you took shot people in the back? On a boat where they had nowhere to go. He shot each again in the back of the head to make sure they were dead and then fed the bodies to the crocodiles and rode back to the bay. You're doing every crazy thing you could ever possibly do. Like, why are you feeding a crocodile? Nobody told you you had to do that. No. Why are you feeding a crocodile? Do you hear you? <laughs> so when he gets back, he realizes that he has to leave the Congo because... Plenty of people saw him leave with all those guys, and now yeah. he's back with none of them in, like, a bloody boat. We head north up the Congo River towards a place called Point Banana, um, and eventually makes his way to the Gold Coast. He's robbing people, stows away on a ship to Lisbon. Um, but when he arrived in the city, he discovered that the local government already knew about him and, like, all the shit he was doing in Africa. But he managed to hide aboard another ship headed for America, and by the summer of 1990... Nope. And by the summer of 1922, he was back in the mother country mm -hmm. he eventually arrived in salem massachusetts and there on july 18th 1922 he came across a 12 year old boy walking alone the boy's name was george henry mcmahon he spent most of his day in a neighbor's restaurant until the owner mrs lyons asked him to run an errand for her at about 2 15 i sent him to the amp store for the milk giving him 15 cents he left the restaurant and walked up Boston Street, and about an hour later, another neighbor saw him walking up the avenue with a stranger. Carl says, the boy's name I didn't know. He told me he was 11 years old. He was carrying a basket or a pail in his hand. He told me he was going to the store to do an errand. He told me his aunt ran the store. I asked him if he would like to earn 50 cents. He said yes. He convinces the child to go for a trolley ride. About a mile from where they boarded the car, they exited the trolley in a deserted section of the town. Quote, I grabbed him by the arm and I told him I was going to kill him. I stayed with the boy about three hours. During that time, I committed sodomy on the boy six times, and then I killed him by beating his brains out with a rock. I had stuffed down his throat several sheets of paper out of a magazine. He returns to Westchester County and continues to look for another boat. In early 1923, he rented an apartment in Yonkers using the name John O'Leary um, and gets a job as a watchman at a mill company. In June 1923, he steals a yacht belonging to the police chief of the New Rochelle town. Um, he picks up a 15-year-old boy named George Wallison and promises a job on the boat, but he, like, becomes his his little punk. <laughs> <laughs> he liked him. Right. He, like, kept him around for a little while. On June 27th, on the river near Kingston, New York, Carl used a 38 caliber pistol from a stolen yacht to kill a man who was attempting to rob him on the yacht. Okay. He threw the body into the river. Um, and on June 28th, Carl and George dock at Poughkeepsie, New York. He steals a thousand dollars worth of fishing nets. And at Newburgh, New York, George, having witnessed the murder of the guy 
who came on to rob them, jumped overboard and swam to shore and reported to the police at Yonkers that he had been assaulted by Carl and that he had killed that guy. On August 26th, he was arrested in Larchmont, New York, after breaking into a train depot. Um, And in October, he was imprisoned at Clinton Prison in Dannemora, New York. So he makes an attempt to escape within a few months. He climbs one of the prison walls and immediately fell the 30 feet below onto a concrete step and breaks both his legs and ankles. Oh, okay. He was given no medical attention for his injuries and was carried into a cell and dropped on the floor. Quote, I was dumped into a cell without any medical attention or surgical attention, whatever. My broken bones were not set. My ankles and legs were not put into a cast. The doctor never came near me and no one else was allowed to do anything for me. At the end of 14 months of constant agony, I was taken to the hospital where I was operated on for my rupture and one of my testicles were cut out. He also like had some kind of rupture down in his area. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't really know what would happen if you broke both legs. (laughs) And ankles. And then... And blew your balls out. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, would it heal? Would it have... Would your... Legs... He's never the same. He is, like, forever crippled by this. Yeah. Yeah. So, shortly after his operation, he was caught committing sodomy on another inmate and was thrown in solitary. Quote, I suffered more agony for many months, always in pain, never a civil answer from anyone, always a snarl or a curse or a lying hypothetical hypocritical promise which was never kept crawling around like a snake with a broken back seething with hatred and a lust for revenge five years of this kind of life the last two years and four months confined in isolation with nothing to do except brood i hated everybody i saw i hear you (laughs) right like journal that (laughs) (laughs) i'm hearing that and and i'm trying to hold that (laughs) i'm holding space for that (laughs) but the idea that you, Carl, feel like they didn't even tend to my fucking ankle. <laughs> <laughs> You're joking, right? Yeah. Like you talked about like watching brain matter ooze mm, from a young boy. Yeah. You're killing people, raping people, and you feel like you have been wronged when they didn't like set your bone, right? <laughs> <laughs> In July 1928, he is discharged from Dannemora after serving five years. But in August, he's arrested in Baltimore um, for a burglary he committed in Washington, D.C. During his interrogation, he confessed to killing three young boys earlier that month, one in Salem, one in Connecticut, and a 14-year-old boy, a 14-year-old newsie in Philadelphia. Oh, my God. A whole neighborhood out there not getting the paper that day. And his confession... Like, they matched up. There was a boy killed at Pier 28 um, near Philadelphia in August. He later wrote that he had contemplated mass murders and other acts of, like, terrorism, such as poisoning the city's water supply with arsenic or scuttling a British warship in the harbor to provoke a war between the United States and Britain. (laughs) (laughs) I wish he had. Couldn't you have just done that? Come on. Weird. Weird. He he wants all-out mass destruction yeah so in the washington dc jail he meets a 26 year old guard henry lesser lesser asked him what his crime was and he said what i do is reform people over the next few weeks they um kind of develop a little friendship but carl attempts to escape by slowly chipping away at the concrete surrounding bars in his cell window one of the other prisoners 
told on him, and he was removed from his cell and brought to an isolated area where he was handcuffed around a thick wooden pole and a rope was tied to his handcuffs. He was hoisted up so just his toes were touching the ground and his arms were lifted above his shoulders. He was left that way for a day and a half. He cursed his own parents for giving him life and screamed that he would kill everyone. The guards beat him unconscious and then left him tied to the pole all night. Um, So Henry Lesser takes pity on him and gives him a dollar to buy cigarettes. They become friends and confide in one another. And soon Carl agrees to write his life story for him. So that's where all of this comes from. Okay. So over the next few weeks, he would give him pencil and paper and he would write down all of his shit. Henry got the vibe of like, I think you... I think there's a story here. Yeah. (laughs) Quote, in my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, and arsons, but last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than a thousand male human beings. For all these things, I am not in the least bit sorry. (laughs) God damn. (laughs) So the Salem Police Department also learned about Carl's arrest and his confessions. So during his time in D.C., Salem Police brought two witnesses from the George Henry McMahon killing in 1922 to look at Carl, both positively identified him as the person they saw with the child. So by early 1929, he's like, I think this is my final prison stay. I don't think I'm getting out of here. Mm. So he wrote a letter to District Attorney Clark in Salem about the McMahon murder. He repeated his admissions regarding the murder in the letter. Quote, I made a full confession of this murder of McMahon. You sent a number of witnesses from Salem to identify to identify me, which they done. I do not change my former confession in any way. I committed that murder. I alone am guilty. I not only committed that murder, but 21 besides. And I assure you here and now that if I ever get free and have the opportunity, I shall sure knock off another 22. He's on trial for burglary and housebreaking charges in November 1928. And he acts as his own attorney and frightened the jury. And at the end of the trial, he took the stand and admitted to the burglary, but told the court that he intentionally remained in the house for several hours, hoping that the owners would come home just so he could kill them. He was found guilty on all counts and was sentenced to 15 years on the first count and 10 on the second. He would have to serve 25 years back at the prison in Leavenworth. He said, visit me to the judge. So he's assigned to the laundry room where he could work alone all day. But his supervisor, Robert Warnke, was notorious for writing up prisoners for minor infractions. Robert was also a grand wizard of the KKK. So like, let's not like cry any tears for Robert. So over several occasions, he wrote Carl up, which caused him to be sent to solitary for a while. When he was released from solitary confinement, Carl told other prisoners to stay away from Warnke because he was going to die soon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, you have to not admire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, admire is not the word. So when he next wrote his friend, Henry Lesser, he said his new job was in the works. I'm getting all set for change. It won't be long now. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. So on June 20th, 1929, he's working in the laundry um, and leaning against the door was a four foot long iron bar. Mm -mm. Now, who put that there? In front of me. Me, <laughs> Carl Pansram. <laughs> Without a word, he picked up the heavy bar and approached Warnke. <laughs> he raised the bar high over his broad shoulders and brought it down on the man's head, which broke his skull instantly. 
Here's another one for you, you son of a bitch, he screamed. As the victim fell to the ground, he smashed the bar continuously on the man's head, sending blood all over the room. There were other inmates in the laundry room, but they stood back and and watched. <laughs> Into the wall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he killed Warnke. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I might as well kill everyone in here as well. No, 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 that, no. They're like, no, no. <laughs> he attacked one of the inmates in the corner and managed to break his arm before he could run away. The other inmates um, tried desperately to get out of the room, but the doors were locked. No, Kendall. All the men began to scream for help as he chased them around the room. <laughs> oh my God. Shouting, cursing, swinging the iron bar, smashing bones, desks, lights, breaking up the furniture into pieces, and sending the inmates crawling up the walls to get away from him. A general alarm sounded in the prison and dozens of guards came running to the laundry Da, da, da. So his trial for Warren Key's murder began April 14th, 1930, and he was uncooperative. The judge asked him if he had an attorney, and he said, no, and I don't want one. Several prisoners testified that they saw him smash the skull of Warren Key with the iron bar. The jury took just 45 minutes to convict him. The judge remanded him back to Leavenworth until the fifth day of September, 1930, when between the hours of six to nine o'clock in the morning, you shall be taken to some suitable place within the confines of the penitentiary of the penitentiary and hanged by the neck until dead. Oh, okay. He, a huge grin came across his face and he rose up from the chair. I certainly want to thank you, judge. You just let me get my fingers around your neck for 30 seconds and you'll never sit on another bench as judge. I mean, yeah, a guy like him, we're a bit like, we don't know where to put you where you won't hurt people. Yeah, You, yeah. you might, like, have to die. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> so now he's like, I'm happy to, I will happily die. Yeah. I hate when they do that. Like, I'm taking, I'm owning my narrative. <laughs> right. Like, I actually want to. Yeah. Quote, I look forward to a seat in the electric chair or dance at the end of a rope, just like some folks do for their wedding night. But they obviously, there's like some anti-death penalty groups that are like advocating for him. And he's like, no, thank you. <laughs> and like, I'm not the one. Like, no. There are plenty of people you should be advocating for. Are you sure it's me? Not me, man. On May 23rd, he wrote the society that was like advocating for him and said, the only thanks you and your kind will ever get from me for your efforts on my behalf is that I wish you all had one neck and that I had my hands on it. I have no desire whatever to reform myself. My only desire is to reform people who try to reform me. And I believe that the only way to reform people is to kill them. I mean, I'm being very clear with you. (laughs) Back off. (laughs) (laughs) So on Friday, September 5th, 1930, he was taken from his cell at 5.55 a.m. and escorted to the gallows. He cursed, once again, cursed his own mother for bringing him into the world and the whole damned human race. He climbed the 13 steps to the platform and stood erect as the marshals attempted to place a black hood over his head. Before they completed this, he spit in the executioner's face and snarled, hurry up, you Hoosier bastard. I could kill 10 men while you're fooling around. After the hood was secured, they stepped back and at exactly 6.03 a.m., the trap doors sprung open. He dropped five and a half feet down um, and it was pronounced dead at 6.18. Any questions? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't even know how to end it. Yeah. Like, you you maybe should tell no one about him. You don't want to ruin a day. Bye. 